And my view is no information is bad information. It might be information that is not what we want to hear. It might be information that causes us to challenge our own assumptions. But to be an advocate for yourself, you've also got to be willing to reach beyond your comfort zone to ask some of those questions. You are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla Denagno, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm selling merchandise at shopyouarelawyer.com. So support your favorite lawyer's favorite podcaster and visit shopyouarelawyer.com to grab some merchandise. Welcome to the You Are a Lawyer podcast, Laura. Thank you, Kyla. It's great to be with you today. Yeah. And I'm so excited to talk to you because you're in the same time zone as me. I'm in Ohio, Eastern Standard Time, and you're in Virginia? I'm in Atlanta today. Oh, Atlanta. Okay, fun. (laughs) But we're still in the same time zone. Yes, absolutely. So are you just traveling or are you based in I'm based partially in Atlanta and partially in Washington, D.C. So. All right. Well, that's fun. Okay. So, Laura, you are actually licensed in Virginia and D.C. I am. That's correct. Yes. And I was really excited when I was preparing for the interview because you earned your master's at the same time as you were in law school. Can you give us some details about that? Sure. I went to the University of Virginia and I did a joint JD MA program. My master's is in government. And that was partially born of my desire to work in government as a lawyer. And also I'd been an undergraduate major in government and political science. So matched a lot of my interests. I ended up working in a variety of roles when I did work in the federal government, including as a policy lawyer, as a litigator, and a lot of what I knew about how government works, how processes are handled was very beneficial to me when I went into practicing law in that space. Yeah. So when you chose the University of Virginia, did you know they had that joint program? Was that one of the key things that made you go to school there? It was really very much a self-designed joint program. Some schools have a more formal program. For example, Michigan has a master's of public policy, JD. I think they still have it, which is, which is very rare. So I really had to design my own, but I was very keen on the, the legal program at Virginia. And I had a, a lot of respect as well and a lot of interest in the government program. So it was a nice match for me, but I had to design it a little bit on my own. Yeah. So a lot of times what people find out is that their education, formal education, does not quite translate into their work life or their career. Did you find that studying American government was a good foundation for the, the jobs that you had? I think I already had a fairly good grounding in government, but doing the master's degree helped me also think about the policies behind a lot of the laws that grapple with, particularly if you're an attorney that works in any kind of federal regulatory or federal enforcement work, it really gives you a a good grounding in that. I think in, you know, for almost everyone though, law school is not something that teaches you how to be a lawyer as effectively as you would like. Certainly the business side of lawyering and some of the sides of, you know, even just understanding a working environment or understanding what it's like to try to manage something as a business, try Mm -hmm. to work with people as a people manager. Those are things you don't learn as much in the classroom. So definitely some on-the-job training. Yeah, definitely. I always say that law school taught me how to do five things at one time and have it not feel like work. (laughs) So Laura, when we were filling out the questionnaire for the show, you mentioned that you wanted the audience to know the different aspects of lawyering that apply in your career. Would you share some more specific details about that? Sure. I've been a lawyer in the public sector, and that was initially my passion was to work in the public sector. And I worked, in fact, for the federal government for a couple of agencies, including the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and the Department of Justice. I was also a political appointee at the Department of Justice and the White House during part of my career. And so I really feel that having worked both as a member of the civil service 
And as a political appointee, I really got a sense of how government lawmaking gets done. That was a great foundation for me. I've also worked in private practice where I've had to build a book of business. I've had to learn business development and financial management skills that have been incredibly instructive. And finally, uh, working as in-house counsel for both a publicly traded company and now as for a 501c3 nonprofit. Yeah. I've learned a lot about client service, certainly from the inside and from the perspective of helping someone to see both the legal priorities and the business priorities and how they align. So I like to think I've had a good deal of varied experiences. It's also taught me that there's a lot you can do with a legal degree. That's one of the things I often stress with my clients is, especially in today's world, I don't think that being a lawyer is necessarily one linear path that you choose it right out of law school. And that's always what you're going to do. There's just a lot of options out there. Yeah. You were very, you know, humble with your description, (laughs) but you were actually special assistant to the president. Can you give a little bit more, you know, information about that, like that specific role? And was that after law school? That was after law school and after I'd also been in private practice as an associate for a while. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to have two roles in the White House. One was working in the White House counsel's office and handling clearances, nominations, and confirmations. Mm -hmm. And another was working with the Homeland Security Council, which was an organization within the White House that helped to manage Homeland Security issues, both before the Department of Homeland Security was established after 9-11, and then Mm -hmm. also working in tandem with the Department of Homeland Security after it was established post 9-11. So some great roles, seeing some things that a lot of lawyers don't necessarily get to do, including getting to understand some of the national security and homeland security aspects of policymaking, some of the nuts and bolts of that, and who the key participants are. And one of my jobs was helping bring together some of those people to be aligned, to make sure that we were getting different voices in the room, getting different participants and meeting the direction of the principal, the president, obviously, to deliver on the goals and the priorities of the administration were, but also hearing from a lot of people that had different views, different visions, and different perspectives, depending on the agencies they worked for that fed into those national and homeland security roles. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Like, I was reading through your biography and stuff, and I was like, I feel like... <laughs> Not like you're a spy or I just got really excited when I was reading it. I was like, man, she has a lot of great experience. Well, I, I will fully assure you, I am I am not uh, an Intel professional. I worked with a lot of exceptional people that are, and I have an inordinate and tremendous respect for the women and men who are in that area because they taught me a lot. And I just, yeah. I understand now some of the, the challenges they face, including a lot of the uncertainties in those roles, because it isn't as though there's just a manual you can open or that information is always clear about what direction you take with it. And I learned a lot from them. So the reason why I brought that up and I was digging even deeper is because you work as an executive coach where you help people, I would say, make career pivots. Right. They can either go from being associates to becoming partners or either being government lawyers to being in-house. So how does your experience play as you work as an executive coach? Well, one of the things I think that most people who are lawyers have in common is they have a desire to really make a difference. And they're looking for opportunities where they can be in a professional role that speaks to them personally, but also is part of a bigger picture. And that might be um, being an incredible litigator in private practice and being sought after in certain aspects of the law, having expertise in certain courts. 
or it might be as a, a government lawyer who just has a wealth of expertise working in particular space. Maybe it's securities law, maybe it's in commerce and trade. And I have a real passion for working with people that either are looking to make a pivot or are looking to figure out how they can move further and differently, maybe through a promotion to partnership or a manager or an SES position in the federal sector. I think people are looking to do something different with their lives. Sometimes they don't always know what it is. And sometimes they're also just thinking they need to make a change, but they want to explore a little bit of what that looks like. And so I enjoy working with people on all of those things because I've done that. I've done business development. I've done promotion within the federal sector. I've mentored and worked with people as a partner. I've been on the associate path where I've been striving to be a partner. So I can understand a lot of the different perspectives, but I just, I really enjoy meeting the people and working with uh, the lawyers that have such unique and such personal stories. Yeah. And I would even add in there when you were working as special assistant and you were looking for different people to collaborate with, right? You were trying to see they have a strength here, they have a whatever, how can that work together? I'm sure that comes into play as a coach as well. It does. One of the things that I often talk with clients about is the importance of asking questions and finding resources. When people come to me, for example, and say, I think I'd like to be a partner in my law firm, but I don't know how to get started. I know theoretically how people become a partner, but I don't really know how does it work? How did somebody get there? One of the first things I suggest they do is talk to another partner or talk to an associate who's on that path now. Spend some time maybe with their associate development personnel or with their financial people, because these days, such a big part of becoming a partner in a firm is really understanding the financial picture and what the firm's economic metrics are. So I think asking questions can be powerful in that regard. Government attorneys who may be looking to move to the private sector or private practice, sometimes they're trying to determine what that next role might look like. And I often suggest that they reach out to people that are within their network or people that are within their alumni group or maybe their LinkedIn group or alumni of their agency that they see as having gone in interesting directions. It might not be the job that they want. It might not be the direct correlation. But I think it's important to hear what other people's real experiences have been along those paths. And it can provide real insights about what it's like to move from one place to another when you don't really know how exactly somebody got there or how you get your journey started. Absolutely. Especially because they need to know what to do in their office, (laughs) right? Like even coming to you as an expert is great, but you're still like, but talk to other people where you are because every firm is a little bit different. Every place is different. So, And there's also conflicting information sometimes. Sometimes people hear different things from different people. And then yeah. one of my jobs as a coach is to try to sift through that information with them. But I also stress that it's iterative. Maybe we have a conversation, Kyla, you and me, and I say, gosh, I really got some great information from Kyla on how she made that leap herself. But now that I've thought about it, I have some more questions. So I'd like to go back to her. I'd like to get more detail, or I'd like to think about putting those questions to somebody I spoke with earlier. But I didn't know at that time that that was another avenue that I wanted to explore. So most people are, I think, genuinely happy to help other people explore where they want to go. They may not be able to offer you a job. And that's a real difference. Going to somebody and saying, can you hire me? Versus going to someone and saying, can you tell me about your experience? Can you give me any advice about how it might be different for me? And I think those iterative interactions are really important. 
Yeah. And you know what I keep hearing in the back of my mind is that you're teaching lawyers to continue advocating, right? Because now they're advocating for their own career. They're advocating for more information to find out where else they can go. You are spot on with that. And I find one of the interesting things about attorneys is we're really good at advocating for our clients. We're often good at advocating for causes we believe in. But sometimes attorneys are surprisingly reluctant to advocate for themselves. Some clients will say to me, oh, I couldn't ask that question, or I'm not sure what kind of reaction I would get if I raised that with somebody, or I don't know, they might think I was weird for asking that, or um, gosh, I feel really uncomfortable. What if I hear something that is negative, like you really need to have this particular expertise to move into this role, or this year would not be a great year for you for partner, but I can tell you some things you might do over the course of the next two to three years to position yourself. And my view is no information is bad information. It might be information that is not what we want to hear. It might be information that causes us to challenge our own assumptions. But to be an advocate for yourself, you've also got to be willing to reach beyond your comfort zone to ask some of those questions. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. I was watching a YouTube video in October, 2022. And the lady was like, you know what? You just got to get out of your comfort zone. If you're doing anything and you're like, I know how to do this. I'm an expert. Forget it go do something else. Even don't, you know, quit your job, but get up right now and go do something that's uncomfortable. Go do five jumping jacks, go pick up a book you've been looking. And I was like, and I've challenged myself to do that every single month. And my life has completely changed in like six months. (laughs) So like, I love what you're saying because you do have to get out of your comfort zone to make a difference and to make a change. And so many people overlook that because we want to be comfortable. I mean, you just do, you want to be comfortable. Well, we live in a rapidly changing world. And I think if you look at what very successful people have done, lawyers or those in business, they've always had a sense of when it's time to make a change. And they've always embraced change, even sometimes when it's difficult or others don't believe in that or others do it differently. I think business development is a great area for business development and marketing and branding. And most attorneys want to do some of this, even if you're not in the private sector, growing your reputation, growing your brand, that's important, but everybody does it differently. And I think one of the things that when you talk about doing something different, doing something uncomfortable, upgrading your LinkedIn profile to really showcase your talents. And I have people that say to me, well, I don't have you know 20 jury trials under my belt, or I don't have 30 years of experience in this sector of law, but you have other things that you bring to the table and conversations that you put forward and challenging yourself to learn a new area of practice, challenging yourself to um, go out and contact potential clients that were not necessarily within your orbit or who you were looking at. Those can be tough things to do. You might have to do some research. You might have to spend some time getting to know them. You might not see business come your way the first month, six months, a year, longer, but having the opportunity to go out and learn something and grow your network, I think is a great example of doing something outside your comfort zone that can be enormously beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope everyone is hearing that and getting that lesson because it's so important. (laughs) So if you are listening to the podcast right now via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, thank you so much. I want to let you know that this podcast is available on YouTube as well. Search You Are Lawyer Podcast on YouTube so that you can watch the video. It corresponds to this episode and other episodes with the podcast. So Laura, did you hire and work with an executive coach before you decided to train to become one? It's interesting you should ask that question. I didn't hire an executive coach necessarily to help me be a coach, 
But I've worked with coaches over the year and I felt that it was really helpful to me. I've worked with some that were lawyer specific and worked with largely a lawyer clientele. I've worked with others that were general business, general career, professional life coaches that I thought were enormously helpful as well. For me, that taught me a little bit about the space I wanted to work in. I do coach a lot of lawyers. I don't coach exclusively lawyers. I work with other professionals. But I felt that I got some things out of coaching that I thought were useful to me and helped me to think through what my next path, what my next step was. So certainly there are coaches I've learned a lot from, and I can hear their voice in my head sometimes. But I think my primary motivation was really, I just enjoy connecting with people on a mentoring and guiding level. And I didn't have as much of a chance to do that in private practice as I do now. It's just very difficult to find the time when you're managing a busy docket, a busy portfolio, lots of engagements coming through. And the, the ability to really connect with people in a meaningful way was something that I felt that I missed, something that I wanted to do. And now I have the time to do that. I have clients that sometimes I work with over the course of several years on a long-term yeah. goal, maybe a path towards partnership where they're building a strategy. And as we're getting closer to that, we're changing the things we do, we're working through it. And I just find that incredibly meaningful because I think a lot of times people are saying, I feel alone in my practice of law. I don't feel like there's anybody that I can really talk to. Maybe it's sensitive to talk to somebody who's a peer because I don't want to be competitive with them. I really can't go to my boss or my supervisor and share that I'm having doubts about whether I'm in the right role or the right position. And no I don't really have anybody in my friend or personal group because I want an objective view. I don't want somebody to just say, oh, you're great. You're terrific. You'll do wonderfully at whatever you decide to do. I want somebody to really engage with me more. So I feel like I am that objective voice. I feel like I am somebody that can really partner with and help support someone as they are working to make a change. Yeah, absolutely. So Laura, how do clients find you? Um, are you out marketing yourself or giving speeches or what? I have a pretty broad, pretty extensive website where I also blog about a lot of the issues that are okay. important to me. I am on social media, like a lot of people, lawyers, coaches, and other professions as well, where I'm sharing insights that I see, um, posting articles from others that I find interesting. I have a number of people who've come to me who've known me in my legal practice over the course of the 25 plus last few years. And they will come and say, I'd like some coaching, or I have somebody in my practice that needs coaching. I have companies that know me by virtue of the networks I've built over the years. Wow. And people come for a variety of issues. Some people are trying to make partner in their law firm. Some people are trying to move from government to an in-house practice. Some people are being given very strong messages in their current workplace that layoffs are coming and they're probably vulnerable to them for one reason or another. Some people have been laid off and come yeah. to me. And sometimes that provides different opportunities. If you know that you are in a place where a layoff might apply to you, one of my goals is to start working quickly with you to okay. establish and protect yourself as much as possible, getting references lined up, making sure when you do get a severance agreement that you have some ability to potentially maximize that and that you understand and you know what you're signing and that you're prepared for that. It's also a matter of sometimes finding if there's a window that you can get maybe to stay on the website with the company that you're with so that you're not just immediately out the door one day and you have no notice. For people that have been let go, I also start working with them on how to start working within and outside their network, within and outside their comfort zone to start thinking about how they look for new employment, a new opportunity. And that can be challenging in the, in the current environment. That can be time consuming process. It also sometimes involves us talking about 
where you want to be, what's important to you in the next role, that can be an opportunity to find somebody that's a better fit. But it also may require you to have some flexibility and to think more broadly than how you've often narrowly thought of yourself. For example, if you've always thought of yourself as a lawyer who does compliance work, but you also have experience doing employment and labor and data privacy or healthcare or something, if you can make those into a broader package, or if you have a lot of experience on the public company side, but not necessarily in the industry that you're looking at that's offering a role. I think it's worth thinking more broadly about that. So I try to work with people on that, getting them ready for the interview process. We do a lot of mock interviews. We do a lot of preparation conversations about how they can also ask questions about the next job they're going into. Some people feel strongly, I want to make sure the next job I go to, I don't feel like I didn't really have a good fit or I wasn't really in the right place. And a job interview is the opportunity to not only have questions put to you as the interviewee, but for you to ask the employer so that you really get to know more about the company. And I think that's so important, especially for people that say, I feel a little bit burned by my last role. You want to try to help them find something in a more constructive way and ask the right questions before they take a new job. Absolutely. Ask the right questions. And um, sometimes even there's some intuition going on there. If you're like, I don't think they're telling me all the truth, or I think they're kind of giving me the sugar-coated version, but that's where asking those good questions come in, right? Because you want to make sure it's a good fit for you because you're about to trade your time, you know what I mean, for money to be there. So you want to make sure it's worth your worth the trade Sure. Off. And again, coming back to the question thing, some clients say to me, well, I'm not sure. Is that an okay question to ask? Sure. If it matters to you, you want to ask questions that get you at the heart of the culture of the organization. How do people work? Do they generally work in teams individually? How do they get evaluated? How do you get feedback in this role? Uh, What are some of the ways that this team has been successful? What are some of the ways you think this team could be improved? Or what are some of the ways you think that this team has room to grow? Obviously, you want to ask those questions in a professional and polite way. You don't want to say, you know, how bad is your culture inside your company and put somebody on the back foot. But you want to really, really probe. And I think there's some great questions to ask to get a sense of a sense of that culture. A lot of people I know, for example, are asking deeper questions now around culture, particularly when company may be hybrid or a company may be fully remote. Because learning to know your team and getting to know the company, not just the culture, but the business practices, the procedures, the organizational hierarchy, that can be really challenging. And so they want to know how they'll be able to do that and how also their potential employer thinks they could take steps to make it a more effective match. Yeah, that's smart. That's really smart. So Laura, I want to spend a couple of minutes and just talk about your role as general counsel with Connect Our Kids. It's a 501, excuse, yeah, <laughs> it's a 5013C organization. How did you get started with them? It's interesting you should ask that. I know um, the co-founders of the organization and I've followed their work for years and have been just so impressed with what they're doing, just to give you a little bit of the the context. They work in the space of foster care and child welfare in the United States and have goals of hopefully working beyond that. Foster care and child welfare is a very, very difficult space, both for the children and the youth that are involved in it, but also for the professionals, the social workers, the human uh, welfare uh, specialists, the people that are charged with trying to match children with suitable homes, suitable foster care, and also reunite them if possible and where appropriate with a family member. That's actually the law in most states is that the priority should be to try to get a child back with family, again, where it's appropriate, where it's safe, where it's right, 
And one of the things Connect Our Kids said was, you know, a lot of this is being done on paper. A lot of this is being done in file cabinets. And when someone in social services leaves, because there's high turnover and high burnout in that industry, the knowledge of the relationships or the child or what's working well may go with them. Mm -hmm. So we're going to build a system. And one of the co-founders, Jennifer Jacobs, speaks so eloquently about this. We're going to build a system where we can see patterns, we can see connections, we can build trees so that we can look at every child that's part of this. And, and through our technology, we can see, oh, here's a teacher that is willing to work with them. Or here's an aunt that can help with them if they want to go to summer camp or a family member that didn't even know this child was in foster care, but now they wow. do. And now they want to reach out and help them. The technology is connective. They're expanding it constantly. Connect Our Kids is also building tools for messaging, for tracking, for social workers who, again, lack a lot of these tools. And the best part is they give away this technology for free. Oh my goodness. That's the passion of the organization is to not let barriers to entry like lack of funding, which happens a lot in the social services space, become barriers for kids that could otherwise benefit from this. They have reunited kids with families. They have helped children to be connected in ways that builds them a community of support, even when a family member is not present that can help and sustain them. This has also been really valuable for older youth that are aging out of foster care. And now instead of being cut off immediately when they're 18 without a support network and without people that can help, they can have a network that can help transition them to adulthood, that can help bring them into the next stage, that can help them grow and continue to thrive. Yeah. So I was really passionate about the the mission. I thought they were terrific. And along the way, as I started working with them as an advisor, uh, started helping with some of the legal aspects of the work. And that's how I came to join as their general counsel. And we are a terrific group of people. I keep saying they, but I really feel like the people that do the work directly with the training and the tech are the heart of the organization. I'm just part of the back office support team, but I love helping them. Yeah. So did you ask all of the important probing questions before you started working as an advisor to make sure it'd be a good fit? I knew a lot about them and I was yeah. also asking questions along the way about what they were planning, what their scale was, how they were organized. And and I think that's important as well. I wanted to get to them. I had the advantage of being somebody that they would reach out to. Do you have a connection in the state to help us get this program authorized, to get this technology implemented? Yes, I have somebody I think you could talk to there. Or could you take a look at this contract? We're not sure if this crosses us over a line we don't want to be over in doing our work. And, and so as you start to get to know the people and the priorities, I discovered a couple of things. One, this was a group that was truly committed to delivering a valuable service without charging people for it. They're a 501c3 when a lot of people would like to buy their technology and sell it. They want to give it away to help kids. I saw that consistency of mission and I thought it was just amazing. And the commitment to doing that in a way that they also ask themselves, how are we really benefiting kids? What's the return on what we're doing? How can we actually know that we've made a difference is important. Almost all of us that work for the organization are part-time or providing our services at significantly discounted rates or for free. And yet there's a camaraderie of spirit, including because we all work remote. We're all in different parts of the country, but we're able to communicate. We're able to work together. And I saw a real seamlessness about that work that was impressive. So yes, I asked questions, but I also had the chance to observe before um, they asked me to come on board and I raised my hand and said I would do that. Yeah, I love that. That's really good. So, Laura, I just have one last question here, and you can answer it as a coach or as general counsel with the 5013C. 
don't know why that keeps stumping me. Laura, do you have any advice for a new lawyer, either five years or less practicing or a law student about what they can do with their law degree? I would say there's a lot you can do with your law degree, but the most important thing you can do is find a role where you think an op- you have an opportunity to learn something and grow yourself as a lawyer. If you don't think the role is going to be challenging, it's probably not a good fit for you. You want to be challenged even as a young lawyer to do things, as you were talking about, Kyla, outside your comfort zone. Maybe that's, I've never gotten up on my feet in court and argued a motion, or I've never had responsibility for meeting with a client by myself. But in this role, I know I'm going to have to do that. Maybe I'm working for a public sector organization that has limited resources and I have to learn to think on my feet and do things quickly. Or maybe I'm working in a private firm where I'll get great exposure to doing the kind of work I want, but I'm going to have to come up to speed really quickly. I'm going to have to ask a lot of questions. I think the rules that challenge you and give you an opportunity to grow are the ones you should seek. It's not necessarily as important that you do a specific role in a specific space that's very personal to you. But I think finding ones that can help you get to the next level in your skills as a lawyer and also just as a professional are really critical. Yeah, I love that. Oh, man, I'm so excited for the audience to hear this because, like, my wheels are turning and I'm, I'm sure everybody else's are as well. So, Laura, where can people find you or learn more about Connect Our Kids or both? Well, I will start with Connect Our Kids because I'd okay. much rather trumpet them. You can find more about Connect Our Kids at connectourkids.org. Wonderful website. It will tell you how you can get involved. If you have somebody that you'd love to connect with, this fabulous technology gives you ways to do that there. As for me, my coaching practice, you can find me at Laura Terrell, L-A-U-R-A-T-E-R-R-E-L-L.com. And I blog there about a bunch of topics. There's also a copy of my free guide, Nine Lawyer Questions That Lead to Breakthroughs. You can find that on my website. or You can find it at bit.ly, Nine Lawyer Questions. Um, Well, thank you so much, Laura. I appreciate it. Kyla, it has been great. It's a pleasure being with you. As I said, I'm a big fan of the show. So thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, tell a friend about this podcast, and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.